Alright folks, welcome back to another episode of Mostly Ghostly. Here with me, Matthew Fisher, and my co-host Ray Booten. Ray Booten, how you doing over there? Pretty good, pretty good. How about you? Not too bad, not too bad. Uh, how's the weather been over there? A little rainy? We've been getting some rain over here. Uh, no, i got sunshine, nice cool weather, a little wow. breeze going. Very nice, very nice. How's uh, how's your life changed since the release of American Sasquatch? Uh, I don't know. It's kind of tough to tell when you're basically a hermit. No, I hear you. Well, I've heard everybody's life has changed for the better. That's what I hear. Not mine, but from the um, coming down the pipeline. Everybody's oh, doing oh, great. Oh, wait a minute. I got contacted. Ah. Someone, in, someone in India Ooh. invited inviting me to a film festival in 2021. Oh, really? I like that. I guess they want me as a guest there. I'm just kind of trying to work out the details, see if I can do it. You, you, you contemplating it? Oh, yeah. That'd be a hell of a trip. You're telling me. Make sure they're not going to take your head. They're big fans. Nah. They're big fans of mostly ghostly, and they're also demons at the same time. So their whole deal is they want to get the super powerful spiritual reboot in there and sacrifice him. Yeah, but they might just try something and then go, "Oops, brother, we're sorry," and then bow down. That's what I think would happen. <laughs> yeah, that sounds more like a reality. You know. About cool beans. So today's episode, um, we were kind of we're thinking of what would be a cool kind of thing to attack and go at, and we kind of like our lists we've been doing, where we've been going through lists and kind of giving our opinion on such things. So, with that being said, today's episode is based on. Uh, the 10 most haunted objects in the world. <laughs> Ray, that's everywhere on this planet. Everywhere. What do you think of that? Well, I think that they're probably 10 most haunted around the world, but I don't know about most. Yeah, I think it's a speculated opinion. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know what I mean? There's a, there was a couple things on this list that I knew about couple things I did not know about. Did you get a chance to peep the list? Oh, yeah. I took a look at it. What was your thoughts on, you know, the, are you familiar with a lot of them or any on there you didn't know before, you know? Uh, familiar with most of them. Yeah. And r- really curious, uh, I think what would be fun is going to Belcourt Castle and doing an investigation, getting permission to do that. The Rhode Island one? Yeah. Yeah, I thought so too. You know what I mean? Very close to us. I mean, you get the most haunted, you know, the Annabelle, Annabelle doll, not, not to jump ahead too much, was also mentioned. And that's what, Connecticut, right? Or was? That's Connecticut. They also bring up, uh, Annabelle made its, made her debut, debut in, uh, The Conjuring, and I think The Conjuring House is in Rhode Island. That's not far from me, about 10 miles. Yeah. So, and they they let people go in there and investigate. So there's some potential on that list to go check it out. Oh, I'd love to. I think we, uh, as, as we've said before, as, you know, COVID-19 pers- let, lets us, as it kind of hopefully dies down, you know, there's been talk of a second wave of it, which I 
you know, knock on plastic over here. Um, hope doesn't happen. But um, if we can get rid of some COVID, um, yeah, it'd be great. We're looking forward to doing some more on-the-road investigations with other teams and um, maybe venture in and do some stuff with our, uh, you know, our own. I know we've had a lot of people ask us to join our team, not that we even have a team, but people want to, we have a podcast, which is just as good, and people kind of want to come on and, you know, be, be you know, start a team and go investigate things, as well as, you know, like our friend Ray over there in Metro West has invited us over to, you know, get involved with some of their investigations, and they're invest- doing a lot of investigations. Every time I go take a peek over at what they're doing, they usually get a lot of stuff popping, so that's good, you know. Well, I got a couple places in mind. One of them is the uh, haunted monastery over in Cumberland, okay. Rhode Island. That's that's fairly close to me. That's probably less than ten miles away, and that's got a that's got a good reputation. Yeah, the haunted monastery. Since you bring that up, I believe uh, Melissa, has, uh, one of her pals, Justin, I think, was talking about that area recently. Um, seeing like ghoulish nuns and stuff so yeah we definitely want to check that place out and, and, and venture in you know what i mean video oh, yeah. style yeah we got a lot of cool things planned for our fans out there uh if you will of the podcast um we're going to be doing some more interactive stuff in the coming future more video stuff where we're going to continue with our audio podcast because that's you know that's kind of like our home base i guess but we're gonna do some more video stuff where we'll be out on, out on the scene, you know, out on location, capturing audio and video and interviews and all that good stuff. So, mostly ghostly, we'll be entering a new visual realm soon, um, and that'll be back on uh, the Boombastic Media YouTube page. You know, Boombastic Media is kind of like our podcasting production, you know, company, and then we're distributed through Dorkening. Um, so that's our deal. So, you know, you'll be going, you'll be able to go back to where it all started for Mostly Ghostly, which was the Boombastic Media YouTube page, where we, you know, I think our first 10 episodes or so were up on that, um, before we switched over to the completely, uh, it was audio then, too. It was just, we had a picture of whoever our guest was and all that fancy stuff. But, um, you know, when we do our our video stuff... Because we got a lot of video stuff planned and in the works, uh, right, Ray? Oh yeah. And uh, once that stuff starts popping off, you'll be you'll be able to find that on um, the Boombastic Media page, you know. And we've been we've been revamping that a little bit lately. So when if you if you're at if you want to get involved and get hip to what we do, we've kind of, I've kind of placed it out in a different you know categories and sections. So. You can go there and have fun and spend a nice you know, hour or two or whatever just kind of diving through all the different deep dives of our film stuff and podcasts and you name it. You know, interviews, trailers, behind the scenes. You have some finished films just for free up there. You know, our film Insomniac. Award-winning film Insomniac starring Ray Booten. You know, the project where me and Ray really got our... really kicked it off, I think, as human beings... Uh, which would later spawn this show. Um, you know, that project's up there for free. So anybody out there that's looking to check out a little more of what me and Ray might do outside of the microphones, 
Um, check out Boombastic Media. But it's cool to have some stuff coming with you. COVID put everybody on the back burner a little bit, but... You know, we're coming, everybody's coming back hard, humanity's coming back hard, Ray, right? What do you think? Uh, yeah, I think so, we're ready. Everybody's over-ready, I think, overdue. Everybody's, they're gonna barrel out of their house like tidal waves blowing through their windows and doors and shit. But it'll be fun, you know, and we got a lot of fun, cool stuff going, um, on every aspect of everything, you know, we got some fun film projects coming, we got some fun podcasting stuff coming. And uh, it's a good time. It's a good time to be uh, be in the mix. So, you know, be on the lookout. And uh, with that, we'll pop into our 10 most haunted objects in the world. Um, do you have the list in front of you, Ray? Do you want to roll through it one by one, like go back and forth, or you want me to roll through it? No, I don't have the list in front of me. All right, I'll roll through. I'm going to do another line of cocaine. All right, cool. All right, ready? Uh, the Myrtles Plantation Mirror, uh, known as one of America's most haunted homes and the alleged site of uh, many as ten murders, this antebellum mansion in St. Francisville, Louisiana, also boasts a highly mysterious mirror purchased by the home's owners sometimes three or four decades ago. The mirror is said to contain the ghost of Sarah Woodruff, uh, the original mistress of the house and her children, uh, custom dictates that the mirrors should be covered when someone dies so that the soul of the deceased does not get caught in the mirror. Uh, instead of ascending to heaven, apparently at Sarah's death, the mourners abandoned the tradition. Now visitors uh, at Myrtle's plantation have reported seeing handprints materialize in the mirror in long drip marks, which no amount of cleaning can remove. Um, now, those long drip marks sounds like something Alexander Hawk would leave on a mirror. But um, <laughs> I will I will go ahead and say it's probably something a little more paranormal than the white orbs that Alex Hawk deals with. It's um, it's probably something else. But yeah, the plantation uh, mirror. The mirrors are huge, as as everybody knows who listens to the show. Mirrors are. Uh, the gateway, you know what I mean, a lot of the time. You know, there's a movie called Oculus by uh, Mike Flanagan, who's a local filmmaker made good. He, uh, he, he, he would later go on to do films like um, Dr. Sleep, you know, the new, he, he cranked out that new uh, Shining film and The Legend of Hell House was him as well. He's been kind of doing some things. But, um, you know, the mayor is very big in that movie. Um... And uh, like I said, we talked about mirrors a lot more. So, what do you what do you know? What's your take on that whole ancient, uh, or maybe not ancient, but the old religion of um, close shutting, like blocking? If someone dies in a room, you want to make sure that the mirror is covered. Is that what it was? So, like the soul don't enter the mirror. Have you heard about that? Uh, that puts the mirror as a uh, portal to another universe. Yeah. And one can get trapped in that universe. The only way that they can manifest it all is to reappear in that mirror, hmm. come back into this world. Uh, mir mirrors themselves, uh, they used to have a silver backing, which is why um, the old legends about a vampire cannot see their image in a mirror, it was due to the silver in the backing. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, currently, mirrors don't have the silver. 
So in theory, a, a vampire should be able to see themselves. Now but the old, the old one, silver, is associated with drawing in spirits. That's because the new Twilight vampires are so girly that they need to check their hair in the mirror. That's why that was done. <laughs> but there are a lot. There are a lot of similar, similar uh, stories that go way back. Uh, it used to be that uh, they used to hold wakes in the front room of a house. They used to call it the parlor. Now we call it the living room. Yeah. Now you have a funeral parlor. Truth. But. The thing that they used to do is once the casket was sealed, it would always go out feet first and preferably slightly tilted down. So the person would not have the temptation. They wouldn't see the houses they're leaving since they were facing outward and they wouldn't want to stay and haunt it. Interesting. There's also uh, when many people, when they sneeze, many people say, bless you. Because there's the old story about how when you exhale the air, uh, when you sneeze, right afterwards when you inhale, if there are any b bad spirits around, you can draw them into you. Hmm. And the mirror is, is, like I said, it's it's a portal, it's an opening, and the spirit, when it leaves the body, it sees itself, not realizing it's dead, and it goes towards the mirror and gets trapped in it. Yeah. You know, as many as ten murders happened in the happened in this house. You know, I don't know if you can equate that to the mirror, but I mean, the house is definitely haunted for sure. Um, and within the house would be the haunted mirror. You know. Well, also, you get all those murders. You get all that energy. It has to go somewhere. It may have taken up residence in that mirror, so it draws souls in. And when they say it was the original mistress of the house, would that be? Like uh, the mistress of the husband, or would that they just call the whatever the whatever female of the house they call the mistress? It'd be the, uh, the affair, right? Whoever back then, I think that the uh, owner of the house was the master, and his wife was the mistress. Okay, all right, cool, fair enough. And like, she could she she could have been trapped because it was her house. She was looking at herself and her house in the mirror, and just got sucked into it. Now she can't let go. Hmm. Um. You know, her, her, her kids, I think, were in there with her. You know, yeah, her children uh, also were, were haunted by it, I believe. Yeah, it contained the ghosts of her of Sarah Woodruff and her children. So I wonder what the child, how the children got sucked into that as well. Well, if she died first, she may have been reaching out to them and they're not realizing, again, that they were dead. Hmm. Or they, she may have ended up, not purposely, but she trapped them in there with her. Or maybe purposely, you never know. Yeah, she didn't want to let go of her kids. Didn't want them, them to move on when she couldn't. Maybe she was one of those, like, a vain housewife, so to speak, or something that looked in the mirror all the time and wanted to be beautiful and started to age and maybe made a little deal with the Deval. Uh, you know, take the soul of my, my children, of my children, and me, make me young, make me beautiful. You think she could do something like that, and then they would they would then be you know sucked into that, or would that be more of like a deal with the devil where you would just go to hell instead of being you know summoned to eternity within a mirror? Opinion. Oh uh, well, the devil the devil is a is a trickster, so that you know you may have a make a deal because you want eternal youth, but you end up being trapped in that mirror, and meanwhile the devil's just kind of laughing at you. 
Yeah, I definitely wouldn't recommend it. You know, it's the oldest trick in the book. You know, that whole, I want something. It goes back to the Needful Things uh, movie we bring up a little bit every now and then. Uh, like that thing where it's, you know, it finds out what you really want or makes you feel like you really need this item and then you sell your soul for it, you know, and people do it for riches and fame all the time, you know? Uh, I remember a comic book when I was young. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going back over 50 years. Yeah. Six, oh, 60 years, excuse me. And uh, in that book, which was at the time, uh, that the co- some of the comic books were a little bit out there mm-hmm. compared to what you see today, but someone made a deal with the devil because they wanted to live and what the devil did was turn them into a tree mm. yeah nice. and it was like like they would grow as a big oak they couldn't move they couldn't do anything but they'd have a long life of hundreds of years as this big oak tree just sitting there stuck yeah. trapped and they they had to barter with their soul I assume probably right uh, yep, so now they're locked in that, uh, leafy prison inside that box, just living their long life, doing nothing but observing everything around them. To, sl- to slowly be eaten alive by rotten bugs, and, uh, yeah, only when it's over to find your way to the big, the big heat room in the floor, you know what I mean? Well, no one ever, you know, I'm sure to the devil didn't uh, guarantee that someone wouldn't come by with an axe and cut you up for firewood. Ah, uh, that's true, that's true. What's your take? Do the Native American folks b- believe in, um, in... I know they believe in, um, like, re- reincarnation, but do they believe in going in? Because I know that they, you know, they, they their culture might be the most... Them and Wiccans are probably the ones that care the most about the Earth. You know, do they feel that they come back as trees? You know, I, I don't know. I, I haven't heard that. No. I feel like that would be kind of... Within those those two cultures, I feel like that would be one of those things. I mean, even, you know, me and you before have talked about that new thing they have when you pass away and they kind of plant you with a tree. You know what I mean? And it is one way to kind of live on. Now, Ray... You're, you want to be planted as a tree, and then you speak of it almost being like a hell. Ooh, what's going on with that? Well, you can release my body. I mean, you can release my soul and let my body feed some new life. That's not a problem with me. What if you, what if, uh, what if it all goes black, and then you wake up and you're in the woods and you're like, what is this place? And you go to take a step, and you can't take a step, and you look down. And you're a tree, Ray, now! Yeah, but the the other side of that is I provide shade, homes for birds, oxygen for people. I'm doing some good while I'm a tree. That's very selfless of you, you know, to, to take that stance, you know. That's very nice of you. It's very kind-hearted of you. It's like a Jesus complex a little bit. You know, making that sacrifice for uh, the greater good, you know. Um, very crazy stuff, you know. But the mirror, within that, you think breaking that mirror would release them? Or would that just be... What, what do you think breaking that mirror would do? Uh, I might release them back into the house, but not in a good form. They would still be spirits and they would still haunt the house. What, even if they remo- if, what if they removed the mirror from the house and broke it? 
I think the attachment there is more to the house. The other thing that might happen is whoever broke it, the attachment might then become to them instead of the mirror. Hmm. Interesting. If you took a mirror and dropped it into the ocean, if you took that haunted mirror and dropped it into the ocean, you think it would just go down there and forever, you know... First of all, would, would pressure break up the glass, or would that be good because it doesn't have any, any oxygen in it? I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I don't know if it would break it up. But water itself is a big conductor for spirit and for energy, so that might backfire on somebody. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, the, the mirror—you know, you see mirrors a lot. You know, whether a couple episodes ago when we were talking about those dark games that people play. Um, you know, mirrors were a big part of that as well. Um, and a mirror, like an old mirror, mirrors are, are hard not to break in general, you know. So this 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 mirror must be uh, watched, I'm sure. It must be behind some curtains and some, some tape. Um, our next up is uh, the hands resist him. Okay, all right. Uh, a sullen boy with sightless eyes stands in front of a door next to a creepy girl doll with a vaguely ventriloquist smile and jointed limbs. This sounds like a movie already. Like when they're a little too descriptive, <laughs> when, it, when it's a little too descriptive, you know what I mean? It, it, it doesn't, it comes off not so real. Um, behind them, several pairs of childish hands are pressed against the glass of the door. Painted by artist Bill Stoneham, The Hands Resist Him is considered one of the world's most haunted artworks. In 2000, a California couple put the airy picture up for sale on an online auction site with a warning to potential buyers. Apparently, come nightfall, the figures in the painting would move or disappear, or the odd-looking boy would actually enter the room where the painting hung. People who viewed the painting complained of feeling sick or weak, or as if unseen hands were grabbing them. According to Stoneham, the painting is based on a childhood photograph of himself at age five. The doorway symbolizes a threshold between worlds. The doll acts as his guide through this world in between waking and dreaming. The hands represent other lives. While Stoneham was surprised by all of the supernatural speculation surrounding the painting, he did concede that both the owner of the first gallery to ever show The Hands Resist Him and the art critic who reviewed it both died within one year of first seeing the painting. I like this story. I I like the idea of the whole painting thing. It has that Ghostbusters 2 feel a little bit. Um, Very creepy stuff. Got a little Tales from the Hood thrown in there, too. Um... Yeah, I mean, it doesn't really seem like they do anything bad. The worst case scenario is that the boy shows up in that room. I don't really, I don't find fear or scary tactics in things moving around within the painting because it's still within the painting, you know what I mean? What's your take? Uh, well, when he did the painting, um, as far as its action or what he may have trapped, it was, it had a lot to do with intent. Yeah. Uh, and if the intention there was to capture, uh, a child, even if it was himself, mm-hmm. uh, that essence in there and other children trying to get out, what was going on in his mind and what his intent was, he may inadvertently have 
given that painting uh, a certain degree of life or of energy with that intent in it so that when people view it they get that energy coming back at them that he put into it and right. that's what that's what makes them uh, feel sick or have problems with it yeah I mean maybe when he was five that he, he was capable of speaking you know and, and, and you know going with weaving with you know through in and out of dimensions and then him bringing that back up in his mind, you know, could could have you know added to the added to the whole deal to kind of bring it into the into the real, like you said. Um, but I liked that one. I thought that one was pretty cool. You know, the hair. It started off really uh, descriptive, which I, I thought it was going to be fake, but it turns out that it was only descriptive because it was describing the painting. Um, the painting's very creepy. Um. You know, I'd almost like to have a painting like that. It, that you know, all the b- bad, bad feels uh, out uh, out of the story, but um, but I do think that's very interesting. Also, Ray, I need you to say a prayer for me uh, of protection because I was at the flea market uh, last weekend and uh, I was stopped. I was waved down by a, a psychic, a psychic, if you will. And uh, she brought, she had me go into her booth, and I'm nice, so I'd always go and say hi. And I knew what she wanted, but like I was trying to get out of it in a nice way. And she wanted me to give her ten bucks, and um, I would rather have probably cut my finger off than give her ten dollar bills. You know what I mean? Because I don't, I don't fully, I don't know if I believe in their deal and in that deal. I think that it's more. I don't know if, you know, it's, I don't know, but, uh, I tried to be very nice, but she was very unhappy that I didn't give her that 10 bill, so, when you're doing your prayers, you can drop a prayer that she didn't throw no, throw no bad thing on me. I can do that. Thank you, right, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I was gonna call you up and br- and bring it up, but I, like, nothing really bad happened, but since it, since it happened, I figure I'll bring it up now. We got a real fun episode with, um... With Shane McCain, where he talks about um, some witches and how you know they can give you things, and I didn't take anything from her. I wouldn't ever since that episode. I would never. I wouldn't take anything from anybody questionable after that episode. And um, yeah, it like reminded me of that a little bit. And I tried to be super nice, but she just was like not having it. She was like she wanted that money. I almost get fucking wanted to give her the money and leave, not even take her services. Just to get out of the situation not to deal with that you know reminded me of going to Punta Cana and uh the flea market people there dude while I'm trying to pull you in to buy up all their shit crazy it's the hustle it's, it's worse than the convention circuit right it's worse than the convention circuit kid but uh back to the merit thing I liked this one I thought this was a pretty good one you know what I mean um and something as fragile as a mirror survives all this time, and uh, I almost wonder when the day comes when that mirror breaks, because that day will come. Uh, what happens? Are they lost? If are they going to be lost forever? Are they going to be able to go to uh, go to the go to go to where they should have went when they died, or are they going to just be stuck wherever that mirror breaks? You know what I mean? Or are they going to haunt the person who breaks it? haunt the person who, you know, gets it. It's one of those things, very horror movie, like with the estate sale, I see that in its future, like the house being sold and the, the mayor ending up in somebody's house or in a flea market, a flea market across the way from the lady that tried, wanted that $10 from me. 
And then we're talking about some real bad news when I cross the streams of that power line, kid. Well, as far as the mirror goes, um, if someone were to do a ceremony to release them, Mm -hmm. they might be able to release and help them pass on, uh, move into the light, then you should be able to safely break the mirror. It's weird. When I hear about stuff like this, it's like, why, why, like, when there's all these known haunted things, why doesn't, why doesn't, like, somebody approach that and try and release them? You know what I mean? Like, how, how do you, how do they become some of the most haunted artifacts? Maybe they're just too strong to be exercised out of there, you know, or moved, you know what I mean? Well, they may be, they may be strong, but you also got to understand that that plantation, they do tours. Yeah. They, they've been on uh, different ghost hunting shows. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a money maker. They don't want that, that mirror broken and they don't want, uh, anything changed. They want people to go there and they want them to explore because it's haunted. The worst thing they could have would be, uh, if that place were not haunted, if nothing ever happened to anybody, they'd lose the business. So in a situation like that, do you think that the paranormal is made more powerful by the fact that the owners of the place are exploiting, you know, the, the very tragic and real situation that happened to whoever, you know, is haunting the establishment? I think they're contributing to it. That's a very definite uh, negative energy. It's just like if you have, um, let's say you, you live or you own a, pro- let's say you own a property that's haunted. Yeah. And what you decide to do is you open it up to uh, investigators at Halloween. You let people come in and pay money and you stage things. And what you're doing is you're disturbing the spirits there. Yeah. And you're keeping it haunted or making it worse by throwing in all of that extra energy and you're disturbing them. You're not letting them rest. And you're doing it for money. It reminds me of the, the pictures of the gorillas in the zoo and they're all sad-faced because, like, they just want to be free. It almost feels like they're they're locked in, you know, and, and made a mockery of, you know, King Kong style, you know, tied up and people brought in. Because at the end of the day, you know, these people are, the, these, these places are left haunted because of violent, sudden acts of death and, like, other bad, crazy things. So it's like... It's never really a positive situation, you know what I mean? And something they'd want to relive, uh, or at least have or have mocked or exploited, you know what I mean? It's weird. Oh, a little side story that's kind of amusing. There's yeah. a zoo in Massachusetts, a Franklin Zoo, mm-hmm. and they have a gorilla exhibit. Yeah. And there's a male gorilla in there that several times has managed to escape. <laughs> has never hurt anybody. At one time... Uh, was actually spotted when they uh, recaptured him. Uh, he was going down the street. He was near a bus stop. I know it's coincidence, but it's kind of funny. Like, hey, the grill got out again. Oh, let's go check the bus stop. He's trying to move on. <laughs> yeah. But he, he's done it several times, and they keep on trying to do stuff to, so it can't escape, and it figures out how to get out. Has never hurt anybody, but it keeps getting out over and over again. Too smart for him. Yep, but the mirror, yeah, I'd say it's. Uh, also, you have the uh, legend that you break a mirror at seven years bad luck, and that has to do with the, a lot to do with the spirits that a mirror can contain. It goes back to the same story that they can absorb someone's essence or someone's spirit uh, when passing. 
and uh, that contri- contributes a lot to the idea of breaking a mirror gives you bad luck. Is that where that comes from? That that with the spirit, the, the the bad luck from the spirits within. Is that what that whole? I think they're connected. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, I never really looked. I mean, we remember how we've talked about before with the cat with nine lives and stuff. Those weird things within pop culture that you don't really think consider to have paranormal attributes to them, but do you know what I mean? Well, the cat with the nine lives, if they serve better, I mean, if they serve their master well, and this goes back to uh, witchcraft, yeah, is that uh, after a certain number of lives, they can earn the right or the ability to uh, switch over into human form. A cat in a human form? Uh, well, they the next time when they come back, kind of a reincarnation, they come back as a human. But they have to earn it in their lives. Have you ever heard of cat people? Like, not the movie, but a, the legitimate, they're not, like, pe- half people, half half human, half cat, crossbreed things? Uh, nope, just the movie. Okay. I've heard of the, the crossbreed. Have you seen Sleepwalkers, too, I'm sure, right? Have you seen that flick from the 90s? Mick Garris, Stephen King... Uh, yes, don't remember it well. Not too bad, not too bad. Um, enjoyable. Um, but yeah, you know, you gotta stay away from the paintings. The, um, have you ever heard of a painting being haunted? Uh, paintings, no. There's a story of Dorian Gray, or the painting of Dorian Gray. Yeah. It's a story where the uh, painting (laughs) ages shows the evil of the person, but while the person stays young, Mm -hmm. that's the only one I know of. You figure there's probably been some crazy paintings made in bodily fluids and stuff like that not to be gross but uh, you know blood maybe some pee and some poop maybe some other uh, maybe some Alex Hawk stuff and um, you know I can only imagine those paintings probably carry a little something special with them too you know they're all and those elements also you know when there's when you see satanic stuff with you know rituals and stuff those bodily fluids are often used as well so it's kind of a weird uh, take on a painting, using them in painting, and, you know, like you said earlier, it all depends on, you know, what your intention for this painting to be. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, intent is the key there. That's the big thing. Some crazy stuff. Yeah, I read an article recently on, a, I think it was a female artiste painter that was uh, was, like, painting stuff. Oh, I was, I was watching something about like people, artists that they think are <laughs> artists that they think have satanic ties within like uh, the big, the big, the big, uh, the big world of art. And there was an artist that would like mix shit and cum together and like use that to paint. And uh, but she had like all these weird satanic like uh, ties to her. But um, yeah, the paintings are interesting. Um, one of these days, we're gonna get a big painting. Of myself and Ray, um, in like a, it'll be very nice. We'll auction it off on the podcast. It'll be successful. Uh, we have artwork coming for folks, so there's something on the way. Sin, but for now, number three, Thomas Busby's chair. In the summer of 1702. 
Thomas Busby strangled his father-in-law Daniel Audie when he fo- uh, when he found Audie sitting in Busty's favorite oak chair. Now that's called uh, anger management problems, is what that gentleman has. You know what I mean? Uh, I'd say so. I'd say that's the beginning. He's got some demons in his head. Um, arrested, tried, and condemned to death. Uh, Busby's last request on the way to the gallows in Thirsky, England, was to stop in at his favorite pub and drink ale in his favorite chair. When he finished his drink, he declared, May sudden death come to anyone who dare sit in my chair. The chair remained in the pub for centuries, and allegedly, anyone who sat in it later died from unseen misfortune um, related to alcoholism. Since 1972, the chair has hung from the ceiling of the Thirsk Museum in North Yorkshire, England, so no one can sit in it, even accidentally. I think that's got a little bit of hearsay to it, because um, you you put a you put a chair in a bar with a bunch of drunk folks. Everybody in that fucking bar is gonna sit in that chair. Who are you kidding? You have a story like that added to that, and you throw a couple shots on somebody, get them loose. You know what I mean? Not giving a shit, uh, dude. I bet everybody everybody's in that chair taking selfies and fucking all that crazy shit. There's people probably got oral sex in that chair, my friend. You know what I mean? We're talking about uh, some degenerate. Boozing and ghost stories mixed together. You know what I mean? Good times. Um, yeah. But you're also talking about uh, a couple of things. One is all you need is a couple of people. True. Every once once in a while, and the odds are it's going to happen that somebody who sits in that chair might get in an accident, might fall, might have something happen to him. I mean, if you're talking over the centuries, there's a probability that uh, someone who sits in that chair, something's going to happen. Uh, within a reasonable time frame so they can blame it on the chair. The other yeah. thing I'm, curi- I'm curious about is that if you go that far back, was execution by hanging? And if so, when you hang the chair from the roof, are you Ooh, symbolically man. hanging the man and removing the curse he put on it? Ah. You think that would remove the curse? Uh, well, you hang him in life and you hang him again uh, in death. That's that was his chair. That's like adding insult to injury. I think that would make it more angrier, you know what I mean? But he can't do anything. He shouldn't have put the curse out there. Yeah, he did bring it on himself, I guess. Yep. He can sit in that chair from uh, from the other side and watch everything and not be able to taste a drop. Now, when you put a curse on a chair like that, do you think that that makes you have to stick with it? You know what I mean? I, I would say it's the skill of the person doing it. Okay. Uh, whether they get trapped into that curse or not. That has a lot to do with, with their skill set and what yeah. they're dealing with to uh, manifest that curse, where they get their power. Mm-hmm. Just for every single curse, there's a payback, and it's big. They must have really... This guy must have been the talk of the town. Everybody must have loved him, because who's letting somebody go to a bar and drink before they get executed? If for, especially for killing somebody, you know. I can see... Uh, I could see, you know, you, you you beat the local pedophile to death, um, and then them bringing you bring you for a bear before they hang you up. But strangling your uh, strangling your stepfather, I believe it was, because he sat in your chair, almost seems uh, a little uh, a little over uh, a little over too little too much. You know what I mean? 
Well, before right. before that curse, they could have been teasing him. Oh, you like your favorite chair? Fine. Oh, you want a drink? Here, you sit there. Yeah. Don't rush now, because after that thing, we're going to hang you by the neck. So come on, go, go ahead, drink up. I'm very surprised. I guess it was his last meal. I guess that consisted of his last meal. But I, I find it weird that they would bring him and include the chair, too. Like, what a weird time. You oh know, yeah! Like I wonder if his chair was in his prison with, like, in his in his cell with him. I almost feel like they would give him his chair if they were nice enough to let him go to the bar, to, to sit in his chair and have drinks and fellowship before taking the big hang time. I think uh, they probably let him keep his chair. It's weird. I'd like to know more about that character, that person, because I almost maybe he maybe. Uh, but you often hear that a lot, you know, where. Even Manson had it, you know, where the the, the, the guards and the, the guards that bring him back and forth, you know, they all become friendly with the people because they're, uh, you know, they you know you're around them all day, so it's kind of like a weird thing. It's easier just to be friendly and ke- helps the day go by quicker. You know what I mean? <clears throat> well, to me, I, I see the uh, irony of it. I mean, I I see it more like to me, it's more like a tease. It's kind of like, oh, that beer was real good. Oops, it's done. You die. Uh. <laughs> it's kind of like, okay, I drank too fast. Yeah. <laughs> Get on the straw. Now, he, he took his drink with no ice, I heard, so it had <laughs> have a little more fluid up in there. Um, it's interesting, though. But, yeah, you know, you throw the curse on it and, you know, I guess it's powerful enough. Usually, you know, you, the, the, the curse would have more weight when in a situation of injustice, but this dude was like straight up bad news, but that the fact that he was bad news could have been, you know, uh, powerful towards what he was trying to do, you know? Oh, yeah, the, the dying, uh, dying curse of a, an evil man is a powerful thing. But this is in England. We'll have to ask our, our buddy Tony Newton from the American Sasquatch film um, if he's ever heard of this situation. But don't you think that if you had this chair in a bar, all the people that were, all the the people that get drunk and foolish and fun and want to show off and act like they got big balls and aren't scared or dares that were that were had, do you think everybody probably sat in that chair? Realistically, I think so. And people as naysayers that go, ha, 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 the fucking chair, man. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, there'd be, there'd be a lot of people that do it on a dare to prove something, and like I, like I said, over the course of hundreds of years, you're not, you're gonna have to have some of those people uh, who met an abrupt end uh, sometime fairly soon afterwards, and that just feeds a legend. It may have it may have to do with the cheer and the curse, and it may not. And to go into a little Freddy Krueger thing a little bit, do you, do you think that for the people, you think they have to believe in the curse for the curse to kind of be able to affect them? Or, like, the people that will go, the people that sit down in the chair and go, it's just a fucking chair, look, I'm sitting in it, no biggie, dude. And then the people that sit in the chair and go, oh, shit, I'm scared because something could happen. You think that the people that are more scared because they believe it are more likely to be attacked by it than the people that are just like, fuck this. I think it's more the people that psychologically there's an open, there's an opening there, and it can be the person that is too loud and protesting against it. Yeah. I mean, quite quite often the weakness is someone who stands there and says, "Oh yeah, I do, you, I do, you, I do." They're doing that. They're not doing it from a point of strength. Yeah. And 
they may actually have a weakness that uh, that curse or any entity could take care of, uh, could take advantage of. Yeah, the loudest person in the bunch is usually the sucker. You know, that's usually how it goes. So yeah, it makes sense. Um, but and they won't even want their life. Their, their life, their life is is invaluable enough to the ghost, to the spirit. Um, I'm gonna move up into our next one. The chair was fun, but uh, should we be giving our? We didn't get too far ahead, so real quick, the, the plantation mayor Ray, do you believe that that's reality, or do you think that's fiction? I think there's a good chance of reality behind that. Okay. Yeah, I think that's possible. With the whole silver, the the silver mayor, the old, you know, and the, the, that, I think that that, there might be some reality to that. Number two, with the hands resist him, you know, I, th- I believe that the, the painting could be something too, and it's very interesting. What's your take on the painting one? I think that there's uh, something there with the painting. Like I said, there's the intent. Yeah. And the other thing is that, you know, publicly the guy says, oh, I didn't do anything. Who knows in private when he was painting it, what was in his mind and what was his his intent, what he'll admit to afterwards. True. So, yeah, there's some real potential there. Yeah. And uh, the chair, what do you think about the chair? The chair could be cursed, but I don't know how strong the curse would be to last uh, over a long period of time. Um, I think it's kind of interesting that they didn't want to deal with, and it could have been not only the curse, they did, didn't want to deal with all these people who wanted to sit in that chair. They could have just hung it up there and say, you can't sit in it because it's cursed. Now everybody goes to see the chair hanging. And as for, for the curse, I feel like that dude was probably a dark guy to begin with that would probably know a little bit about how to spin a curse. Um, when you are... When you are strangling your father-in-law for sitting in your chair, you are a uh, you are a little darker than the average bear. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I think the chair one's the most far-fetched so far. Um, I don't like the chair one. I, out of the, the first three, I don't dig the chair one that much. But uh, it could be true. But I think that's maybe more of uh, who knows. I have to know a little more details. But number four, the haunted wedding dress. In 1849, wealthy Anne Baker fell in love with the low-class steelworker, but her class-obsessed father, Elias, forbade the marriage and drove Anna's beloved away from her uh, from their hometown of Atuna, Pennsylvania. Anna died a bitter and broken-hearted woman. Eventually, the Baker Mansion was transformed into a museum, and visitors could view Anna's unused wedding dress inside the glass case in her bedroom. Reportedly, the garment is haunted, often seen moving on its own side to side or shaking violently within its glass case. The mansion is also reportedly the site of other hauntings. David Baker... Anna's brother was killed in a steamboat accident in the winter of 1852. Screams have been heard from the basement where David's body was stored until the ground thawed enough for him to be uh, buried. That one seems realistic, too. Um, And with the wedding dress, like, it's got a little bit of that fairy tale to it where it's like, yeah, you know, it makes sense for a wedding dress to be haunted because of all the emotion behind it, especially with her not being able to kind of wed up with her love, and then you have all those years of being bitter and lonely, and the what-ifs, and the hate for her father she must have had. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I'm with this one, and I definitely feel there could be something there behind it. What's your take on this one? 
I think there could be something there. Uh, that wedding dress could have been the symbol of her whole life. It could have been a symbol right. of when she was happy. Right. And she's not letting go. She's attached her spirit to that dress, longing for that time. And she's she's there uh, haunting it. As for her, uh, what was it, brother? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I don't know about storing him a long while in the basement. Maybe he wasn't too happy and got trapped down there. Yeah. He couldn't, he couldn't move on properly, and he got trapped in the house that he grew up in. Yeah, I almost feel like if you, if you were, if he wasn't stored, stored appropriately, he would probably have umbrage with that, uh, enough to stick around. If he, if he had to witness himself turning into the old wet trash bag, then I don't think he would, uh, He'd appreciate that much, you know what I mean? Well, he might be escaping his body into his childhood home, but uh, he still holds on to the trauma, and that's why you hear the noises that he makes. Maybe bad, maybe bad things happen to the children in that basement, um, and the why, the why the father didn't want the daughter getting married is because the father was in love with the daughter and did bad things. You never know. This is a different time. Well, crazy, disgusting shit like that happens nowadays too. So, I'm sure it happened uh, just as much back in the day, if not more. When when they said, "Well, that's your family, Joe. Do whatever the fuck you want." You know what I mean? Yeah. <sighs> unfortunately, um, I really think that yeah, her holding on to that dress and what it meant to her emotionally could have trapped her there could have trapped her in the only time she was ever happy before it all went bad yeah. and her brother's body in that cellar um uh, yeah he was also for a long while the body and possibly if they didn't give him a funeral service the body and the spirit were trapped in that house for a long while and he just got the spirit itself got trapped into that childhood uh, home. A lot of memories there trapped him, and the energies that were in there trapped him, along with his sister. Yeah, you know, drowning is, is kind of a violent death. It's not physically drowning, but within the body, uh, I feel I feel like it's very violent on the body, you know what I mean? So it's very possible that that happened, and you know, that you bring the body back, and it comes to that thing that we've talked about before, where they don't realize they're dead, and you see, I assume when you if you see your body, uh, it's mind blowing. I, I think that that, even even in the spiritual form, when you finally find out that you're no longer around, you know what I mean, that you passed. Yeah, I think that's that that the energy of that. Like, I feel like there'd be more energy of him realizing he was no longer alive than even the death where the death happened. What's your take on that? Do you think? What, what, what do you think's more of a a spot of um, impact where the actual death happens, or the the where they are if if it's not the same place, of course, but where they are when they realize, oh, I'm dead, I died, I'm no longer living. Which do you think is more of an impact? Um, as far as energy wise, like energy. As far as far as where they died, I'd say it would be a lot to do with. Um, how abrupt and violent it was and whether they accept it or not. I think that, uh, well, I'm going to actually take it one step further, but the second thing was, yeah, the uh, spirit might release, but it doesn't move on and it goes to a place it's most comfortable, which might be where it lived in the past. The third option, and if you're talking in the 1800s, they could have, if you're talking about drowning, they could have pulled them out, 
They could have declared him dead, put him in a box, and put him in a basement. And as far as we know, uh, with the technology they had to determine uh, how how they died, if they really were taking a pulse, whatever it may happen to be, mm-hmm. um, at that time, they could have put him in that box in that basement, and he could have still been alive. Oh, that's true. Yeah, didn't really think of that one, but... Uh... I mean, if you got a doctor that just kind of like went over there, took a quick pulse thing, it could have been very, very mild. Machinery would pick it up now, but he didn't pick it up, and they said he's dead. What are we going to do? Things are frozen. Well, you know, put him in that box. We'll store him in the basement. He's alive. So he basically had a slow death there and then rotted afterwards. I mean, that's perfect for a spirit to want to haunt. Yeah, I wonder, when it says a steamboat accident, I wonder what that actually entails. An explosion? Uh, drowning? I don't know, but I, I'm, I'm looking at uh, myself. Uh, I know, I've been in rooms. Yeah. Uh, I worked in hospice uh, at one time, and I've also, when family members and friends, I've been present. And I've seen brain activity. I've seen the monitors where brain activity goes, the heart stops, everything, but they were all plugged in with multiple sensors so that all activity in a body was gone. There was nothing left. If you have an accident and uh, if it's a steamboat accident, there's a bunch of bodies and they, let's say they drag one out of the water and everybody's trying to look at somebody. This one's groaning, that one's groaning, this one's saying nothing. Check for pulse quickly. Okay, he's dead. Move him out. And then move on to the next one to try and save. You could have just take, taken a pass on and pushed somebody uh into that coffin it was alive yeah really you're right you're actually right with that especially with it being a steamboat <coughs> if it what if, if it was something that was a bunch of people they would that's probably how they would handle it <laughs> uh, whoever gets, whoever screams the screaming the loudest in pain is getting the most attention and you can hear his screaming from uh the basement right oh you're hearing it now because that's where you die yeah well, and I believe the shaking, the dress would shake violently. Oh, she could be try- She could be uh, in spirit trying it on, and that makes it move. Well, they, a lot of a lot of women will say, you know, I worked in the wedding business. A lot of you know, the most important day in a woman's life is when she gets married, supposedly. You know, and if that ain't getting done, you know, if she was exit, she was that was taken away from her. Um, I bet she had a lot of sleepless nights on that dress, crying into that dress, cursing her father, um, maybe making deals with whoever would listen to try and try and bring them back together. You know what I mean? Uh, I think there's a lot of things. I think that that dress became the object of her uh, affection, uh, for better or worse. You know what I mean? Oh, it could also be, uh, and you can add in if someone sees it move or shake. Um, you could have the spirit there and she could be like, you know, going up and adjusting this hem or moving that a little bit and thinking about how she's going, still locked into, she's going to get married back in that time and kind of prepping it and getting it nice and, oh, nope, I'm going to brush this dust off here and I'm going to straighten this hem here and the dress starts moving. People don't see her, but she's doing it. You are you're dead on with that too. I think. I think if if she had the dress in her possession, I think that she would continue continue to fluff it and clean it in preparation. The day is coming. The day is coming. Type deal. 
And maybe that's while doing all that stuff, she put all her hope and sadness and anger and everything into that, you know, and that's that's how that came about. All that energy, you know, was, was, was what brought her to uh, the breaking point, if you will, you know. But I, I, I think that, that the haunting, the haunted wedding dress could be could be definitely a uh, reality as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just because of the the object is one of those things that's just that people invest so much emotion into and energy into to begin with that I think it would make sense. And then you add all the different emotions of the bitterness and angry and sadness and all that craziness. I would definitely stir up something. Uh, number five, the Bassano vase, not to be confused with the Balsamo vase of James Balsamo. Um, the Bassano vase for the morbid interior decorator. The Bassano vase would make a perfect companion piece for Thomas Bugsby's killing chair. This 15th century vase was made for an Italian maiden on her wedding night. The young bride died that night, clutching the vase and vowing to seek her vengeance. Each family member who inherited the vase died until it was finally hidden away. It is unclear if the vase was eventually buried in the sacred ground, but it uh, it was finally unearthed in 1988, with a note inside reading, Beware, this vase brings death. The vase was sold to a pharmacist who reportedly died three months later, as did the 37-year-old surgeon who owned it next. Um, don't work in the medical field, I guess, if you have this vase. <laughs> The last owners were so desperate to rid themselves of it, they tossed it out the window, where it hit a policeman on the head and nearly killed him. Um, the family refused to take the vase back. The vase was allegedly reburied in a lead coffin, waiting to be discovered again. Uh, this one seems a little far-fetched as well. Um, it does have the makings for one with the, the wedding night... And she died on her wedding night. I, I'm very curious to how she died. Um, maybe murder if uh, vengeance was, vengeance was, uh, you know, wished for, vowed. Vengeance was vowed. Um, what's your take on that whole deal? I mean, unfortunately, we don't know the deal of what happened, or would be able to give a better opinion of what what actually, you know, would be haunting. Um. I don't know. It sounds like an interesting story. I know that if you're talking a vase, you're also a vase is a vessel, something that to hold something. Yeah. And whether it holds uh, her spirit, a vengeful spirit, angry, uh, I don't know. Uh, could have been a gift that uh, she went into, and is uh, really doesn't want to see anybody else happy. Doesn't want. Because she lost hers. So you have the wedding dress. It's someone who's hanging on to uh, the joy and the symbolism there. The vase, and it's hard to tell not knowing the details. It could be the person trapped in there with the anger. And since she didn't get married, uh, since that went wrong, she doesn't want anything in anybody else's life. Somebody killed me. I'm going to kill everybody that touches this. It's very sounds like a very vengeful spirit trapped in there. Yeah. But without out knowing the back, without knowing details of the backstory, it's hard to tell. And what they're not mentioning is a lot of all these artifacts. You know, they they 
they were haunted before getting to these stories. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like, like that chair, like that chair was part, probably carrying something with it before he got it, you know what I mean? And, and uh, it's kind of like the Christine effect, this, the, the John Carpenter, Stephen King film, and the book, Stephen King book, John Carpenter film, where, you know, the dude falls in love with the car and it makes him do bad things. It's almost like, you know, that in a way. You know what I mean? I could see, you know, some of the people putting so much love into a gift and it going foul and now it has this energy that it's consuming and wants all this love and attention that it got that it's no longer getting. So it seeks out a new host. You know what I mean? I think well, I'd, be cu- I'd be curious about the history of the vase. Um, who made it? Yeah. Uh, originally, what was it made for and what was it made of? Mm-hmm. I mean, was it was it a simple clay, or was it something else carved? Uh, what type of vase was it? And that that may hold something because there are certain uh, stones and yeah. certain things that hold energy. And depending upon what that vase was made out of, uh, it could have been something that could attract energy. And who knows who made it and why originally? So there's a lot, a lot of questions there. Even things like the dress and the chair could have, you know, like the, the the stones. You know, they could have, like, decorative stones on the dress. There could have been, like, decorative button-type deals on the chair. You know what I mean? It doesn't know, you, you, don't, you don't know for sure. And like you said, the, yeah, stones are definitely, and crystals and stuff, you know, which I, I think they consider crystal stones, right? But, um... Yeah, like, uh, there's definitely some stuff going down in there, you know. There's, there's multiple things that can be brought into the mix that would bring in all this bad energy, you know. I think, uh, I wonder if the fact, the medical thing, I know I made the joke about the medical thing, but I wonder if that had any, any tie-in to it, you know. Maybe there was a... Maybe uh, the husband, or the per- that maybe the husband, if the husband killed her, maybe he was a, a doctor or something like that. You know what I mean? Maybe she was poisoned. Maybe he was a doctor that poisoned her with the me- like some fucked up cyanide or something, and it was a slow death for her to be able to miserably throw a curse on on it. You know what I mean? Without just dying quick, but like you know. This, yeah. Uh, I- yeah. There's a lot of missing details to be able to try and put it together. If, you, if you're looking at the guy who killed his father-in-law and the chair, well, you have a curse, you have a chair, there's a tie-in. Uh, a murderer, a chair, a curse. You have the dress, um, the wedding's canceled, a sad, lonely life. Yeah. Uh, you have all these things to tie in. There's not enough information on the cause of death and some of the details of the vase to really tell what's behind this one. Mm-hmm. At least for me. No, I agree with you 110. I'm with it. Um, I don't, I'm not really, this one's, I'm a little, this is more like, um, the one, the other one that I didn't really like, like that, 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 um, the chair, the chair one I thought was a little far-fetched, you know what I mean? Um, the cut, like you know, them throwing throwing it out the window and hitting a cop in the head and almost killing them seemed a little more little more dramatic than reality would have be. Um, who doesn't see a cop? Who's so out of their mind with that vase that they go, "Fuck, I gotta get rid of this vase right now," and not even look where they're throwing it? You know what I mean? 
doesn't make sense. Well, yeah, a lot of things. One thing that doesn't make sense that actually happened and was documented. Yeah. You know, there was a man mm-hmm. who uh, broke up. Um, I think it was with his wife. Uh, now she was going. And this, this was, I think, in a major city. I'm not sure if it was New York. It was a major city. And it lived something like the 10th floor. And this, this goes back, back a ways. And, uh, basically he left. She was distraught. He leaves the building. She decides she can't, and it's legitimate. She cannot live with herself, so she throws herself out the window. Mm-hmm. She landed on him and killed him. Ah. Uh, yeah. I mean, the, 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 the base is almost like a variation on that. It's true. It's got that, like, um, have you ever seen Magnolia? The Paul Thomas Anderson film with, uh, like, Tom Cruise and Philip Seymour Hoffman? Uh, no. It starts off with them telling a story that's supposedly real about how there was this um, this kid who lived with his parents, and his parents used to fight all the time, and, you know, uh, he hated it, and uh, every his mother would always pull the gun out on the father and threaten to kill him, but he did always, you know, there was never any bullets in it, so they'd always just shit talk. And uh, one day the kid got fed up with it, so the kid went. He he uh, he he wrote a suicide note. He put a bullet. He put a bullet in the gun. And when they they started fighting again, he went up on the roof and he jumped off the roof to kill himself. And in the in the way that it goes in the story is that when the mother was waving the gun at the father, uh, she pulled the trigger. And the it went the bullet went by the father and it hit the kid while he was falling to the ground to his death, and that the mother, uh, the mother was charged with murder and the kid was charged as an accessory to his own murder for loading the gun, and uh, they play it off like it's a true story and in this world like like you said like stranger things have happened so it's almost like you like I wouldn't put it past reality to spin that tale you know what I mean. Um, but yeah, like we, stranger things, stranger things have happened always. <laughs> stranger things, the hit TV show. Um, so the vase thing, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know really how I feel with the vase thing. But uh, next up, we have the Dubuque box. Uh, D i b b u k. I hope I'm not murdering that. Uh, according to Jewish folklore, it's a wine cabinet turned uh, haunted by a restless evil spirit. In 2001, an antique buyer in Portland, Oregon, attended an estate sale at the home of a 103-year-old Jewish woman, uh, the only member of her, of her family to survive the Holocaust. Uh, among her possessions was the odd cabinet. The woman's granddaughter reportedly told the dealer that her grandmother had always kept the box hidden because it contained a malevolent spirit called the Dibuk. The dealer soon learned firsthand about the power of the captive spirit claiming the doors and gates to his art studio locked by themselves. In the air began to reek. When he gave uh, the box to his mother as a gift, the woman suffered a major stroke. Weeping uncontrollably in the hospital, his mother spelled out "hate gift," H A T E G I F T, hate gift, uh, frantic. The dealer declined to list the box on an online auction site, along with the story dealing, detailing its horrifying uh, providence. 
and museum curator named Jason Haxton purchased the book box and wrote a bu- uh, wrote a book about its history, which is weird. So there's this box. Yeah. Um, I wonder if she got it. I wonder where she got it. Uh, I know she was from. You know, she was involved in the Holocaust, unfortunately. But I don't think she got it there. But uh, yeah, I can only imagine the sadness of all that, the, the the bad, the bad energy around those items. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. And also, and it's not uncommon in different cultures to use vessels to trap things in. Yeah, that's how you, that's how you contain them, and that goes also in Jewish law. And that sort of box, which is sealed up does contain evil and usually it is sealed with a warning so that you never should open it yeah you've uh banished it or trapped it inside there you seal that box you're better off burying it but uh yeah that's that to me is yeah that's totally believable from what i've seen come out of different cultures as to uh they're doing similar things with other containers it's it's a common thing particularly in older cultures traditions passed down Hmm. With it being a wine box, you think that has anything to do with it? You think maybe there is a, a spirit of alcoholism or something in there? I assume that, uh, I don't know for a fact, of course, but I assume a lot of those survivors that kind of got, got out of that, you know, in other situations of things like that, you see a lot of addiction problems and substance abuse. I wonder if that was the case with that. Um, you know what I mean? Just, you know a lot of drinking and maybe doing some drugs or something just to kind of cope with it. And I'm not, I'm not trying to throw shade on them for doing that. They went through a hard thing and you know, your mind can't comprehend when other human beings think that you need to be killed. You know what I mean? It's a tough thing, you know, and it's weird. It's a weird thing to, to, to kind of go through, you know, it's un- very unfortunate and sad, but like uh, going through something like that would the burden of that, I think would be the same burden. if not what more than, you know, a lot of the burdens that people carry when, you know, they're caught up in, like, drug and alcohol problems, you know what I mean? What's your take? I tend to think if you take uh, out of the 1940s, you take the culture at the time, I think that the, uh, and what was around, the fact that it was a wine box just was a coincidence. It, that was a convenient thing at the time, yeah. something that people would have, and that's what they would use to trap an evil spirit. You think that they they, they, they they just had a wine box that maybe they didn't drink, and they said, well, I can't throw them in my bread box. I eat the bread, and I'll throw them in the wine box. Well, they could have had a wine box. They could have uh, said prayers, put symbols on it, uh, banished the spirit to it, sealed it all up, and some fool down the line uh, decides to try and open it. I know that there are some on sale on the Internet. Yeah. Stay away from that stuff. Oh, yeah. You know, and if supposedly uh, people, the stories about the people that have bought them, uh, doesn't go well for them. They I, try to get rid of them. I, Everything goes wrong in their life. I wouldn't imagine it would go well for them. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. The uh, I don't know about that. That's dark stuff. Um, yeah, don't. Buy, that, yeah, yeah. That that one I believe, that one I, I think is uh, got the potential, very strong potential to be legitimate. Yeah, I mean, to go back to that whole deal with um, the gift that I was talking about with the witches before, I wonder if there was almost, you know, wine is a, is a very common gift. You know, maybe they were gifted uh, something from somebody that wasn't quite their friend. You know what I mean? And uh, 
the only way to kind of encase, encase it was to put it in that wine box and, you know, summon it out of the bottle, but uh, condemn it within the, the, the box, if you will. But you never know. It's a wine box. You could put anything in there. You know what I mean? It's a wine fucking cabinet. You could put anything in there. You know, just because it's made for wine doesn't mean um, doesn't mean you got to put wine in it. You know what I mean? No, I think that, like I said before, I think that was more convenience that uh, that wine box was there and they needed uh, to yeah. use it not for wine. Yeah, I mean, butts are made for pooping, but sometimes people put other things in there. You know what I mean? Uh. Yeah. They- <laughs> We call that the Dubuque box. Number seven, the woman from Lamb. Uh, that's L-E-M-B. Uh, discovered in 19, or rather, 1878 in Lem, Cyprus. Uh, the, this pure limestone statue is believed to be a fertility goddess, but rather than blessing the beholder with life, the crude figure, which dates from 3500 B.C., that's before Christ, not Billy Coyne, some would think Billy Coyne, but before Christ, allegedly brings a legacy of death to all who handle it. Um, the bad luck began with the figure's first owner, Lord Elfont. Within a six-year period of Lord Elfont's possession of the idol, all seven members of his family supposedly died under mysterious circumstances. Um, which back in then could have been the common cold, you know. Uh, no, mysterious wouldn't be the cold. It would be him killing them off for not agreeing with them. Um, subse- subsequent owners also lost their kin until Sir Alan Biverbook decided to donate the so-called Goddess of Death to the Royal Scottish Museum in Edinburgh, where it is kept safely under glass. Um, so it's a statue of a, of a lady, which is, uh, interesting, you know, which would be, automatically that would bring in a more realistic thing because people probably, uh, worship a statue, you know, especially with the fertility goddess, um, in fertility, uh, pregnancy, uh, so people would probably pray to the statue when they're hoping to expect a, a little bundle of joy on the way type deal. Um, which, which right, which right there, you know, going with the wedding dress, the next most important thing in a woman's life is probably that, that baby, going for that baby, baby kids, and, uh, so that, you know, there'd be a lot of emotion around, uh, and thoughts on that statue, I think. What do you think? Well, I can see, I can see two things right off the bat. One is it's made of limestone, and limestone, uh, holds energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one. Two is, if it's 3500 B.C., uh, what it was originally intended for and what people in either the 19th, even the 18th and 19th century, uh, what they think it was used for, they may be completely off base. Yeah. I mean, they, they may have gotten it in reverse. I mean, as far as we know, it could, it could have been uh, Lilith or some other demon. True. We don't know because, uh, while well, Lilith, uh, supposedly was Adam's first wife and she, she was kicked out, she was evil and competes with Lucifer to rule hell. But, um, there were demons back then and just because it's a female form and we look at that now and say, oh, it's old, it must have been a fertility. It, 
No, back then there were uh, female demons as well as uh, male ones. And that limestone, who knows, let's say if it was uh, demonic or evil, the ceremonies that were done around it, the uh, limestone would hold that negative energy and hold that evil inside of it. And uh, that could be transferred to the people who owned it, and they would suffer for it. Yeah. Are you familiar of the, the woman from Lem, or Lem in general? Uh, no, I'm not. I'd be curious to look it up, but based on, uh, what you just said, yeah, I'm thinking that, uh, it was not a fertility symbol, yeah. and the limestone really kind of magnifies, held on to the negativity and magnifies the energy in it, and it could be just a connection to the evil side. But I mean, whoever handles it, their family dies off, uh, which is kind of a little cru- cruder, harsher punishment than you dying, I feel. You know, the fact that you got to watch your family die around you is pretty, a little more rugged, you know what I mean? Uh, a little more yeah, vengeful. It, it, yeah, it is more vengeful. It's, it's more along the line of the, you're being tortured by watching your, bo- your family die. And that, to me, is why I think it might have been more, or let's say less of the fertility and more of the evil, because if you're going to, curse somebody the worst thing you can do is um not kill a person that's kind of too easy let them live while everyone around them they love dies right so it it could have been used for evil purposes and and you go back to that time 3500 years ago what like i said what we look at it and we say oh look at that must have been fertility uh could have been something completely different you want to stay away from truth yeah i don't know that one's um that one's a little like there wasn't a i feel like there was a less in, less info on that one than any other one but um it makes sense i mean it's it's very possible you know scottish scottish the goddess of death so don't confuse your goddesses of death with your uh fertility goddesses that's the, that's era number one number numero uno so be on the lookout uh, number eight, the chairs of Belcourt Castle. Oh, here's one. This is one we were talking about beforehand. Uh, Newport, Rhode Island's famous Belcourt Castle doesn't seem to be plagued so much by the ghost of its former owner, Oliver Hazard, Harry Belmont. What a fucking name is that? That's epic. Uh, but rather by the haunted antiques in its collection. Belcourt's gothic ballroom is home to a collection of haunted chairs. Interesting. Uh, those who try to sit in certain chairs report feeling a wave of resistance, while others, um, other chairs actually push people out. If hostile chairs weren't enough, Belcourt also boasts a screaming suit of armor whose original owner was killed when a spear pierced the armor's eye slit. The ghost of a monk clad in brown robe has been sighted in the mansion, and before Belcourt's curators banned photography, Pictures revealed many spirit orbs floating through the rooms. <clears throat> so with this one, haunted chairs are, are, are becoming a common thing in this episode. <coughs> what do you think makes a chair haunted? You think somebody just dying on it, or a cur- like a curse? I mean, I assume if you were trying to think of things that would be. Tr- multiple people would interact with, a chair would probably be high on that list. What's your take on all that? 
Uh, they would be. I can also see where, depending upon, since it's filled with antiques, that they're old chairs. Um, if you go to a certain time period, you had the male or the master of the house that would have their chair and no one else would sit in it. Yeah. Um, or they'd get strangled. Like and a, then like you, 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 also, you also had if that if they grew old in that chair and let's say they died in that chair, they could be attached to it. Someone else tries to sit down, they just try and kick them right out of it. Say, nope, this is my spot. Yeah, this is my chair. Uh, very possessive of possessions. They're holding on to this world and the uh, possessions in it. Um, I can I can see that happening. Uh, the armor, that's just an unusual death where the person got trapped in that. Uh, I'm wondering what the uh, combination of metals or what type of metal the armor is made out of mm. that that may contribute to holding the spirit in. Yeah. Uh, when a person thought they were protected and then through an isolate they get killed, then that's, that's trauma right there. Mm -hmm. The orbs... Well, you've got a lot of different... Uh, if Those are all antiques and they all come from different places. Um, yeah, they may be beautiful pieces from, you know, 1600s or 1400s or 1700s, but the energies at that time, and particularly in furniture, even a chair, uh, when everything was made by hand, the energies that went into everything in the making of it, uh, and the use of it is a lot different than, uh, now we have a disposable society. You didn't have one back then. Yeah. So a lot of the spirit of the maker or the owner could be, uh, trapped or attached to that uh, chair or that armor or anything else in there. Truth. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, the chairs, you know, we haven't had any haunted beds. I've heard of haunted beds before, though. No, I haven't, I haven't heard of haunted beds. Uh, nope. No, that, that's one I haven't heard of. My nano actually has a, a bed story that she used to tell me of, uh, she's a spiritual woman, you know, a church lady all the time, and she says that she, she was in her bed once and her bed started to shake, and she thought it was like, uh, she heard like laughing, she thought it was like the devil, and I guess, like, I guess her bed was shaking, so, um, no, oh, that reminded me of that for some reason. But, uh, well, I, yeah. I woke up, I woke up one time when I was, when I was young, and I, felt the bed moving and I had to remember I was on a water bed it's like okay okay it's not a ghost <laughs> yeah, it's me rolling over making it move okay okay that 30 second moment where you're like wait a second is this a reality like what the fuck is going on and then you're like oh yeah I'm, I'm in a water bed you're like am I really witnessing is there something going on right now for real and then it's a water bed very, yeah. co very common very common uh, very common thing that happens to a lot of people well, especially if you're drunk. That, yeah, that plays into it, too. You gotta put your foot on the floor so you don't get all fucked up in the morning. Uh, hostile, so we just finished up some hostile, uh, you know, with that chair, what's that chair game? I fucked up the joke. I was gonna have a joke, but I forgot what the musical chair is. Um, number nine. Annabelle. Yeah, the doll with the most here. In 1970, a woman purchased a Raggedy Ann doll in a second-hand store as a Christmas present for her daughter, Donna, a nursing student in Hartford, Connecticut. Soon, Donna and her roommate, Angie, found the doll standing and kneeling by itself with fresh droplets of blood 
uh, seemed to appear on the doll's body. As the unexplained phenomena increased, Donna consulted a medium, who told her that the doll was possessed by the spirit of a young girl called Annabelle. But Annabelle's antics became more dangerous. Donna had to call on the paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren from our, our, our past episode, The Paranormal Life of the Warrens, check it out, um, who confirmed that a demon, a.k.a. a demon, uh, no, not a young girl, possessed Donna's doll. To this day, Annabelle resides in a locked box in Lorraine Warren's basement museum of cursed objects, where she is blessed twice monthly by a priest. So you think that blessing would keep her within... You feel, How do you think that... Well, how's that work? You know, they got her in a, a, a box locked up. I assume that's mainly so people don't touch her, not so much. Maybe so she can't be, you know, can't go on the run. But uh, my guess is more so people don't touch her. Um, and... Uh, yeah, so you think that, that medium, the medium was tricked uh, into thinking it was a girl, huh? So the, so the mediums can be tricked if they're not... Oh, they, they can be tricked. It depends upon their experience and their ability to recognize what's speaking. But, uh, yeah, they can be tricked. As for a demon and a doll, uh, evil entities are always looking for something that they can inhabit and interact with and influence people with. A doll would be perfect because children are vulnerable. Uh, you know, the, uh, you could have a child that's saying, oh, yeah, I'm just playing with my imaginary friend or playing with my doll and stuff like that, and the parents just don't think about it. And There's actually a demon in that doll influencing the child, grooming it for future evil work. Uh, so the potential for that Annabelle to be uh, haunted or have a demon in it, I think is very real. As for the box, um, it may not be a uh, wine cabinet, but they chose a glass box because it's on display, and they use a priest to kind of reinforce a barrier so that it does not get out. And they do that on a regular basis to try and contain it within that doll and within that container. So going, but going back to our age-old, mostly ghostly question, I wonder what the hell happens to all that stuff now that there's not a priest around to bless it twice a month. You know what I mean? Like... It's in a storage bin somewhere, you know what I mean? I don't know, I assume some paranormal team had to have grabbed that stuff up because it's too... I almost consider that, like, the hub. Like, her how her museum must have been, like, the fucking... Uh, the, the top of the building for Ghostbusters, you know what I mean? Where Zool, like, like the gatekeeper, uh, the official spot, all that negative energy, you know what I mean? But, you know, with, the, with these dolls, it, it's got to be what somebody transferring uh, a spirit into them or or well, how do you think the, the, the you know these like Annabelle for instance how do you think Annabelle a demon would get inside a doll uh, most likely be called you think somebody kind of summoned it and set and, and put it the same way in that in that game where like they'd put a demon in their closet they summon it and put in a doll and just kind of you know bet you know for bad intentions of course. I would say that's probably the number one way is through a summoning. Um, the other way would be is if there was someone that was susceptible mm -hmm. and even using the doll to get uh, to them, it could end up being trapped in there once it uh, 
manifests itself into the doll. But I, I would probably go with summoning first. And we're talking about a bad dude right here, bad man pajama. Yeah, someone who's uh, playing with fire and they don't have good intention. Yeah. What do you think about the possibility of maybe there was a kid that was possessed and the priest? When pulling the demon out of the kid, they had to put it in something, and they, the first thing, the closest thing they could grab was this doll. Well, if you're talking about an exorcism, they're trying to banish it. If you're talking about a demon, it could have moved out of a child and into one of the dolls, and then whoever's doing the exorcism doesn't even realize it, because they just see that the uh, demon has left the child. They don't realize that doll behind them in the corner is where it's now hiding, until that priest or whoever the exorcist is, is gone. It just shifted over, but it didn't go away. That's a very interesting point, because uh, I I always wondered that in, like, the exorcist movie and stuff, and and stuff like that. It's like, where does this go when they get exorcised out? Like, I, I, I feel like it's more likely that they would be within that room in the energy form than actually be summoned. Like when they exercise, it's just take, that act is just taking taking it out of the kid, but it's still there. You know what I mean? But it's not in anything uh, to the point where it can be seen. You know, maybe it's hiding or maybe it just isn't. It, it's put in something like a doll where, you know, because it, it, it flees, I assume. It's like a fleeing situation. Like it wants to go in... And it's forced out, but I feel like once that it knows that it's on its way out, that it can't stay there, I bet it flees quickly, you know what I mean? Or it moves to something else. Um, well, they, yeah, you... that's what I mean by flee. Like, it would move to something else quickly. It wouldn't beat around the bush. <laughs> it would almost, like, shoot into what into the first thing that it can, you know what I mean? Well, if you remember that attachment I had to the uh, to my phone in it and the GPS coming out of uh, the... The Bridgewater Triangle. Yeah. Um, which, that thing was misbehaving all over the place. Mm-hmm. And not only did I do a ritual for removing the attachment, I did several rituals, one, in, one after the other, which included not only removing the attachment, banishing it, cleansing to make sure I did not stay within the house, it did not stay here. In other words, progressively pushing it back and back and back so it wouldn't reattach. I didn't want it to go from the phone to another thing right. in the house. So you have to be very careful that when you're doing that sort of uh, detaching or exorcism, that you're clearing it out completely and not giving it an opportunity to jump to someone or something else. Yeah. Yeah. The only way. What other uh, what other objects have you have you ever came across any objects in your in your travels that have been haunted like an object, not a person? Um, I was in an antique place one time, and I'm walking around, and uh, my wife is there, and she just kind of like paused at the doorway to a small room, and she says, "Is there something in there?" And I went over. And I took like a half a step in, and my eyes went right to a pair of shoes. They would just look like they were out of the 1800s. Yeah. And I was just getting these waves of nasty coming off those things. And I said, oh, no, 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 we're going to keep going. <laughs> uh, yeah, I hope nobody buys those shoes. 
fuck? There's, some, there's something nasty attached to that thing, and we just split. That was it. What do you, what do you think? Uh, what do you think it is? I'm not sure, but it was evil. Old shoes. You think somebody might have died in them, or uh, died in them, or the person was involved in evil that had them? Uh, I don't know what it was, but I didn't hang around to find out. Uh, I just kind of put up a block and took off. Yeah. Yeah, it's craziness, man. That is creepy. That is some creepy stuff. I mean, it creeps me. I go to the... I'm, I'm big on flea markets and thrift stores and secondhand places. Like, I'm all about that. I'm all about that life, Ray. You know that. And, uh... Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, you never... I probably should do, like, a prayer or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> when, when, like, leaving with, with people's stuff. Because, like, who knows what's attached to that or, or, you know, what they were doing with it. You think of things like COVID and, like, uh... You know... People not, not wiping their ass good enough or fucking doing other weird things. And then, you you know, touching the same thing they're touching. Think of that stuff. But uh, you don't really think of the spiritual element of the things that could be left on stuff like that. It'd be fun to almost bring Ray into a, uh, into like a, like, go, go. I want to bring into the flea market and feel things out. We'll do a flea market episode. Oh, that'll be fun. That would be kind of cool. We can bring. I'll bring the audio, and uh, we'll roll through. And when you feel something, we'll roll audio, and you can kind of talk about, about what you're feeling about. You know, if the fans out there want to see this episode, let let us know on the Facebook page. And if you don't, maybe we'll do it anyways. Maybe we'll do it all anyways. So, well, we got one more thing. On our list, our number 10, which is uh, the Kohinoor Diamond, okay? Allegedly stolen from the god Krishna. Um, the Kohinoor, which stands for Mountain of Light Diamond, boasts an impressive 109 carats uh, and a deadly price for any man who owns it. The curse dates back to the Hindu text from 1306 we're going back some serious time now 1306 he who owns the diamond will own the world but will also own all of its misfortunes only God or a woman can wear it with impunity so uh that's big that's big that's pretty uh that's pretty big only God and a woman I mean that's more you know, people that you know—that's very the time. You know, equal, e- that's beyond equal rights, right there. That's that's a raising up. I'm all for that raising up. You know what I mean? God and women on the same plateau—they both create life. So there you have it. Um, the life givers of the world. You know what I mean? What do you think? What's your take on all that? Only God and a woman can wear the uh, impunity there. Um, I agree. I think it's the uh, the energy, the divine energy that flows through a woman that uh, creates life. That gift from uh, God. I think that that is what can control it. The male energy um, doesn't have that. So, yeah, whoever would have that would be able to control. It's a power object, but they would also be controlled by it. And that's That's where the misfortune would come. Yeah, I mean, women are the most godly. You can almost say 
that men are more devilish, more the devilish type. They have that yin and the yang. You got to have both. You know, if you want to get into a whole weird subconscious thing of it with the whole God and the devil within create, you know, mankind. Um, you know, but going back to this, the Kahunor diamond, according to the lore, the rulers who have owned the Kahunor diamond lived lives of violence, murder, and torture. Uh, the British royal family, which uh, know a lot about violence, murder, and torture, I'm told, um, they have owned the Kahunor uh, since the reign of Queen Victoria, Weary of the legendary, weary of the legendary curse, the royals have always willed the diamond to the male heir to the British throne. So who's that, uh, Prince Harry? Uh, I don't know. Which William, one it is. Prince William, right? Prince William's the oldest one. Prince Harry is the one that uh, went to live in Canada and claims he's not uh, a prince anymore, even though. I'm sure he's living quite princely. Um, I think they even went, him and the wife went back. I think they even like were like, what were we thinking? And fucking went back to the, the royal life. Um, but yeah, this diamond, I mean, the diamond's another one of those things like the wedding dress, you know, riches, you know, people worship wealth uh, and all that. So like I could see a lot of energy being worshipped into it, you know what I mean? Yeah, I would call it. I would call a diamond the ultimate crystal, and in that sense, it has uh, power to it. Yeah, you know, he he who owns the diamond will own the world. That's pretty big in itself, um, and it also owns all its misfortunes. It's weird. It's um, yeah, it's weird. It's a. It's like the uh, one one ring to rule them all, or whatever that is, with Lord of the Rings. Um, it also is, sounds uh, very familiar to the Hope Diamond, which yeah. is cursed. Now, what's the give me? Uh, what's the Hope Diamond? I'm not familiar with the Hope Diamond. It's a very large, uh, one of the largest, if not the largest in the world, blue diamonds. Okay. And uh, everybody who has ever owned it has had. Um, disastrous things happen and family members die and just uh, it's considered cursed uh, it's in a museum now I think uh, because I don't it's reached the point where not only is it unaffordable unless you're mega rich but yeah. even they don't even they don't want it anymore so I think that's I think that's where it ended up uh, because of the curse attached to it everybody was dying around it and family members were dying around it. Catastrophes were happening. And uh, that other diamond you just spoke of, that one there with, with the legend, uh, yeah, it does have the idea behind it of great power, but then uh, great power corrupts and everything goes wrong. And with that power, unless used correctly, and only the divine or God or only a woman with the essence of giving life would be able to use that power correctly. So the man basically abuses it and pays for it. It's a power object, and it's cursed. Yeah, I see this rock being owned by some crazy ruler that would uh, rule with an iron fist and, uh, you know, sacrifice, uh, pe murder people off and sacrifice people to the diamond. Um, 
to give him more power, you know, one of those real crazy egomaniac uh, mass murderers, you know what I mean? Serial killers. Um, I feel like that's the vibe with that. But yeah, you figure, I, and, and it's like a jewel. I I picture like a I picture this dude with a, this jewel, this big giant jewel in his crown, and like everything working in his favor. Kind of like he has he has the devil in his pocket, and everything's got working for him. Uh, all his everything he ever wanted type deal, and. It's one of those things you lose the jewel, you lose the jewel, and then you kind of wither away because you're fucking nothing without it type deal, and uh, and then it falls into the new hands. You know what I mean? It seems like that. It has a little bit of like a little morality tale to it. I feel, you know what I mean? Which is one of those things you can either pick, you pick out of a lot of these paranormal um, stories, and you can either take it as just that's just. It's a, it's a morality tale because everything in life is kind of a lesson, learning a lesson in morality tales, or it's a tale like that because it's fake, you know. It depends on which side of the fence you want to sit. But um, this diamond one seems real because I feel like everything has to do with the energy and the, and the intent and the, the, the attention given, and I feel like jewels are worshipped, so, uh, and they, they mean you know, they mean a lot to a lot of people in multiple ways, so, like, uh, there'd be a lot of weird energy floating around them, that's my opinion. Um, what do you think? What do you think? Well, if you, ha- you have something that is, uh, a power symbol, or yeah. something that's supposed to give power, mm-hmm. usually the people that seek it out, uh, don't often have good intentions. I mean, if you take, uh, do you know what the spirit of destiny is? Yes. Okay, uh, Hitler sought it. And um, throughout history, there were those that have always sought power, and they've always sought a means to manifest that power, to take over. So they tend to be not the nicest of people. And, I mean, the whole idea of the power is to subjugate other people, which is not a good thing to begin with. So for them to uh, achieve that power, or for them to seek power objects, if they obtain one, and they're now uh, full of them. They started out full of themselves. They now feel that they can do anything they want. That always leads to tragedy. And that will be the tragedy around them. I mean, Shakespeare was great at writing plays about that. And uh, there are morality stories about that. And it's basically true. You don't seek a power object unless uh, you intend to have power over another. And that's never a good thing. And... A curse or bad times will follow. Right. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, you got to be on the lookout for that stuff. You know. And, uh, yeah, it's one of those things. You know, you, you don't exactly know. You know what is and what isn't. Um. In these things that we get, you know, I mean. The more newer things, I'm sure you you got less of a worry, but you never know. Even some newer stuff might be carrying some shit that you got to worry about. But um, gentlemen like myself who flea markets uh, in yard sale will not... I actually went to a yard sale last weekend for the first time in years, and I walked through. Uh, Nothing good, nothing I liked, but uh, I was coming back from the flea market, so I said, do it. Um... You should roll out with with me to the flea market one of these days. Are you, are you a flea market guy, Ray? Oh yeah. 
Uh, there's a lot of stuff that I think you would dig the hell out of at this one. You've ever been to the Rainham Taunton one? Uh, the Big Flea? The Big Flea, uh... Oh, yeah, I like it. We'll have to get it popping. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you know, when you're at those flea markets and yard sales and all that, and you're picking up a fucking necklace or a pair of shoes, you go, yo, this stuff's old, man. I want to get it. It looks, you know, uh... Maybe uh, think about it again, or maybe fail out the person selling it and see what what the story is with uh, why it's being sold, where it came from. Uh, If somebody walks up to you and they have a pentagram carved in the side of their neck, it might not be wise to buy that cookie jar. You know what I mean? Um, Just keep it moving. But um, well, maybe not buy that wine box. Maybe not buy that, but (laughs) maybe not buy anything. Uh, Maybe just kindly give them a nice day nod and make your way back to the car um but yeah you never can tell you know uh and these things can be carrying stuff you know some attachments may be included like one of our previous episode states but uh yeah definitely when you're out there on the lurk you know it looks like all this stuff they get under wraps but i'm sure there's some very dark shit floating around there that uh, you probably come in contact with every day and have no idea, you know, what it is. I almost want one of those uh, Ghostbuster readers that that I could put up there and fucking, you know, with the bunny ears on it and see, you know, see what's going on in different places, almost like a black light, you know what I mean, the paranormal and just all the hot spots and see what's going down Um, because I feel like there'd be a lot of, uh, I think we'd be surprised at how much stuff's going on around us, you know, and the dimensional aspect of things, I think would be, uh, I think would be really surprised with what else is in the rooms with us that we don't know about as well, which could be a creepy thought for some people to take in, I might be one of those people, uh, it is a creepy thought, but, uh, what can you do, you know what I mean? Is there anything else you want to say in closing on, uh, this, this episode's subject, Ray? Well, I was I was just thinking when you were talking about the flea markets, I was thinking that, uh, and I know I have an, an app on my phone, I think it's called an Oculus, but maybe not, but what it does is it picks up energy and it gives you a word, and you can ask questions, yeah. and you be in a flea market and be over there and pick this object up and uh, hold that in one hand, have the app running in the other hand, and say, is there anything attached to this? And if it starts talking back to you, go, nope, I don't want this one here. You can take it back. <laughs> nope, 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 nope. Nope, it's talking, it's, nope, nope, uh, nope, sorry. When, the, that, when, I picked, when I picked it up and it said demon, I'll put it back down. It said legion. Yes. But, uh, no, I would, for a lot of people, and this includes myself, yeah. um, usually when things are bought, particularly if you're looking like a flea market or something else, or being sensitive, number one, there are things I walk away from. But beyond that, even if something comes into the house, whether it's sage, whether it's prayers, whether it's ritual, everything is always cleansed. And the whole house is on a regular basis. So that nothing that is um, evil or with an attachment is welcome here. And it's just something that I do all the time. And before anything comes into the house... It's got to go through that ritual, otherwise it doesn't make it in the house. And cleansing things, particularly when you're 
if you're out there and you are doing a flea market, and it doesn't have to be super extensive because most of the time there's nothing attached to it. But whether it, it is you, you smudge or whether you say a simple prayer and uh, how you relate to it will determine a lot on uh, what happens if, and that's a big if, it happens to be one of those rare instances where there is something attached to it's haunted. Yeah. The objects of non-protection, they would say, instead of the objects of affection. Maybe it's a title for the, to the episode. But uh, me and Ray are going to dwell that over, and uh, we want to wish y'all folks a good evening, and we're going to catch y'all on the next episode of Mostly Ghostly. Bye. Ray doesn't say bye anymore. What?